You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio today. It is great to be with you. It is a beautiful day here in the South. It could be the very first day of fall, uh, maybe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we're going to be communicating here shortly and have a special guest with us today. Um, and hopefully we'll get him on the line. He may have had a court hearing this morning, but I think he's going to be available. Uh, I think you're all going to be excited to listen to listen to him uh, talk about his experiences. He's actually been in the news a little bit recently, and we've had a couple national news organizations that have uh, been down to visit his place. And, and um, so hopefully we'll get him on the phone here shortly. I don't want to tell you who he is until he's actually on the phone uh, so we can make sure that uh, I actually have him. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of these new proposed crazy rules uh, that Donald wants to do um, uh, as they affect immigrants. So David, it looks like we have him on the phone. Is that right? Uh, we want to welcome Marty Rosenbluth. Marty, how are you today? Uh, David, I don't hear him here. Let's make sure we can get him on the phone here. Marty, can you hear me now? I feel like I'm in a commercial. He should be on. Marty, we can't hear you. You Hello? should. Oh, now he's here. It's like, well, you are calling from the middle of nowhere, right, Marty? Well, actually, to tell you the truth, I am in Atlanta today. I had two hearings up at the Atlanta Immigration Court, so I oh, so we so we lucked out. Uh, we didn't have to find you in the uh, in the no call zone. So to speak. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> we don't get much signal down there. No, you don't, and it really doesn't matter which carrier you have or don't have. Uh, to all our listeners, this is Marty Rosenbluth. Marty is, uh, if anybody's on Facebook that follows immigration uh, and immigration lawyers, they would know Marty. Marty uh, um, runs uh, part of a law firm down in Stewart, Georgia, in Lumpkin County, uh, just outside the gates of hell, I believe is the appropriate phrase uh, for the uh, Irwin Detention Center. So, Marty, tell me, what you, you've been in the news recently, a lot. I mean, you've been on, uh, was it The New Yorker or The Atlantic and then the CNN? And, man, you're famous. Well, you know, that's, that's what happens when you move up to the middle of nowhere and set up a law office. <laughs> like, nobody else is down there, so I'm news. Um, and uh, it is, uh, you know, when, I, when they first opened Stewart, and it's got to be, what, eight or ten years ago? It seems like forever. Yeah. And I started going down there. But this this place isn't going to last. This is the middle of nowhere. It's going to cost them a fortune to haul people out here. Then then it began to dawn on me um, that that's why they put it in that place uh, to make it difficult, to make it impossible to get lawyers, to uh, make it difficult to get communications with, to 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 denigrate, to debase, to uh, deprive people of human contact, to make their lives so miserable. But they'll just give up and go home. And I think that's why what you're doing is so extraordinary, because it helps us reverse that uh, that, that, that intent. Well, the, the, I mean, the best way to explain it, you know, is that ICE uses incarceration as a litigation strategy. I mean, their families can't visit them without great difficulty. Attorneys don't want to come down there. The judges there are amongst the worst in the United States when it comes to bonds or asylum or anything else. So, yeah, people just, you know, even if they have a good case, they'll just, you know, give up and say, just send me home, get me out of here. You know, and that's what's really sad because so many people actually do have viable claims for relief under the, under the very limited laws that we have uh, and just 
you know, when they're told, look, we're not going to give you bond because of whatever crappy reason we invented not give you bond for. Uh, and yes, you have five U.S. citizen kids and two have cancer and you're cancellation eligible, but your merit hearing is set for four months from now. I yeah. mean, you know, it, you know, it's like, maybe it's like being a prisoner of war in, in, in the thoughts of John McCain, uh, that you're literally separated from the family and you know what they're going through. You've been the primary source of their support. Uh, you don't know how your wife's making ends meet. Uh, your kids are suffering. And you, you, maybe you just say, look, I'll just leave and then I'll sneak back in the country. Uh, yeah. And that's what people do. Many people, yep. Uh, now, one, one question I wanted to ask you about this today. And because you do so many initial court appearances, uh, and one of the things that I, I think is so extraordinary about you is that you put a human hand on your client. Um, and uh, you have been, uh, uh, let's say, I don't want to say chastised or reprimanded because you're not, you don't work for them, uh, but uh, they've, they've harassed you about this, haven't they? Well, yeah. I mean, they, um, for months, tried to stop me even from shaking my client's hand. I mean, it was completely crazy. And, <clears throat> I mean, I, you know, passive resistance, I just kept shaking my client's hand and putting my hand on my client's shoulder, and, you know, eventually I just wore them out. They gave up. <clears throat> but once once they went as far as, um, I mean, you've all seen, everyone's seen, you know, court TV, they know what a courtroom looks like, the attorney sits next to their client. I mean, at one point, they put my client on the other side of the attorney table, and they stationed a guard between me and my No client. way! No way! <laughs> that is insane! That's absolutely insane. Now, let's keep it, let's let our folks know, when you go into this courtroom, it's not like you walk off the street with your, with your, with your weapons in your pocket. Um, I mean, you literally go through one of the most strict, one of the strictest, you know, uh, metal detection in, um, uh, places I've ever been through. Way harder than the airport. Uh, oh, yeah. You can't bring anything in that courtroom. You definitely bring a pencil nope. or a pen into the courtroom. So what do they think you're going to be doing? I mean, do you have a razor blade in your shoe or something you're going to smuggle to them? Well, it's crazy. Well, I think, I think it's intentional to, you know, try to make the experience as, dehumanizing as possible. I mean, <clears throat> that's why I moved down there. I mean, I moved down there because that place is so inhumane. The decisions are so inhumane that, <clears throat> you know, at least someone should have an attorney, you know, by their side when their, you know, life is turned upside down and they're deported. At least they should have that modicum of dignity. And keep in mind, for our, our listeners who aren't necessarily immigration lawyers, uh, there are no public defenders in immigration court. It's not like everybody That's gets a right. lawyer. Uh, and in fact, I, w I would guess that less than 10% of the people in, in Stewart ultimately have lawyers, uh, right. even with you down there. Uh, and w right now, whether there are three judges or two judges and a video machine, uh, how does that working right now? Well, at the moment, we have two um, full-time judges who are down there and two judges who participate in hearings via video telephone conference. Are, are they the same two video judges, or do they rotate the video judges in and out of Stewart? Well, at the moment, <clears throat> two of them have been stable, but, I mean, my understanding is we're losing both of them either this week or next week, and we're starting to get rotating 
judges. I have judges on my docket for next week that I've never even heard of. I have no idea who they are. Well, they've, they've nominated and put into place recently 75 new judges, so who the heck knows? Um, and did you see a difference in how detainees were treated from those judges who are, let's call them, stationed in Stewart and those that appeared by video? Um, well, it's, it's kind of hard to say because one of the judges that does appear by video is way better, you know, than any of the two judges we have stationed down there. I mean, she cares, she asks questions, she's very thorough, she treats the, you know, the pro se people, the people who are representing themselves with great respect. Um, her docket is always running like an hour, an hour and a half late, but I can't complain because she's, you know, taking the, the time to listen. So I, I think it's much more dependent on the judge themselves, although, I mean, there are logistical difficulties. Like if you, you know, bring a document to the court, which you're allowed to, you don't yeah, have course. to send all the documents in advance. You know, if you bring the documents to the court, there's no way you can show it to the judge without it being faxed to her in Virginia. Yeah, without without holding it up to the video to the to the camera, say, "Hey, judge, can you see? Can you see me now?" That's not going to work. <laughs> it doesn't work very well. Uh, it, well, isn't it tragic though that the justice that you get is not dependent on the law? It's dependent on the judge. That's uh, very true. And, and that is, that's morally repugnant. That should not be the case. You know, we all know that in, in courts around the country, the, the judges do make a difference. And, you know, one thing we saw in the Manafort uh, trial, the judge was kind of went overboard against the, against the prosecution on occasion in that case. So you see that on occasion. But generally speaking, most courts are pretty consistent throughout the jurisdiction in which they reside. Immigration is that one area where there are simply wild differentiations between yeah. judges depending on what their personal whim is of the law. And That's right. that shouldn't be the that just shouldn't be the case. Uh, well, I mean nationally, on average, roughly about 50% of people who apply for asylum win their cases. At the Stewart um, uh, I, I call it the Stewart Deportation Court. I don't even call it the Stewart Immigration Court. At the Stewart Deportation Court it's it's six percent. Well, is it that high? I thought it was down to one percent. Uh, no, <laughs> it's six percent because you know they're, they're, we have that one good judge down there. Oh well, well, yeah, but once that one good judge is gone, then it, that you know she's granting forty, fifty percent of the cases, then then you're back to but zero. I mean, even on something like an immigration bond, I mean, there are cases where I am one hundred percent sure if I was in any other immigration court in the country, I would be able to, you know, win, you know, this bond case or that bond case. And in Stewart, it's just impossible. They just say no. And you have to wonder why they have chosen, why the judges have chosen that particular uh, uh, enforcement tool and to enforce it. Is there something in their bonus structure? Is there some directive that they are subject to? Is it some personal whim that I am the, I am the broad sword of justice uh, that will cleave in half the the damage caused to America by as I view immigration? Uh, you, you just got to wonder why. Uh, yeah, you got to you got to scratch their head. I mean, in any other immigration court in the country, the standard is: Does your client have available release? In other words, is there anything that they can apply for? 
that they can, you know, go to the immigration court when they're released and fight their case. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically, you have to show that, yeah, you've got a reason to come back to court. At Stewart, you have to prove viable relief. In other words, you have to pretty much prove you can win your case. Which, which, is, which is clearly contrary to the statute and the regulation. Uh, yeah. n- neither one of those are, are, are required under the law. Uh, when you talk about flight risk or danger to the community, uh, and, and you just say, well, judge, my client has, he's adjustable because his wife's a, a U.S. citizen, or uh, he's got six kids and, and three of them are ill, and, uh, you know, well, prove that to me, counselor. Prove that to them while the guy has been detained. Uh, while his wife or, or significant other has been struggling to maintain their life outside uh, uh, outside of his detention, and do that within a couple of days of him being detained. I mean, it, it, it is almost impo- it's almost impossible when uh, when you have access to courts uh, that are uh, cognizant of the need for justice. It's impossible when they're so remote they can have no no ability to help in their own defense. No. And, I mean, the, the, the turnaround time is so fast. I mean, with some of the, um, the individual hearings, in other words, where the judge will actually look at all your documentation and all your evidence and rule on the merits of your case. I'm having individual hearings set two or three weeks after the, the master calendar, after the person tells the judge what they're applying for. It, it, it just can't be done in such a remote... I mean, even if you were in a, in a major city with all the resources in the world, you know, trying to build a case for asylum in two or three weeks, it's impossible. You know, I want to talk about that a little bit more, Marty. We need to take a quick break, because we take breaks here on sure. the Immigration Hour. We'll be back in, like, one minute, because I want to follow up on how hard it is to get ready for a case in Stewart. Be right back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Elena George. Join me Wednesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. for Medicine on Call, a show dedicated to exploring the medical, social, and political aspects of our healthcare system in order to find solutions. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, we're back on the Immigration Hour. we got Marty Rosewood. Marty, I want you to give a plug for your firm here because what your firm does is remarkable uh, both in Stewart and in North Carolina. Tell us about your firm a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, I really do feel um, blessed. I've got, um, I work with Polanco Law Firm out of Raleigh. And, you know, when I went to them and said, look, you know, there are no attorneys down at the Stewart Deportation Court. You know, you all should really open an office down there. They, uh, okay, go for it. So, um, I mean, 
I had known the, the, the head of the firm for years, but I had never worked for her before. And I just kind of walked in the door and said, hey, you know, let's open an office down at, you know, in Stewart. And she said, yeah. So, um, you know, I feel very lucky that they, you know, let me work down there. And as long as I can keep at least marginally in the black, they'll, they'll, let, they'll let me stay down there. Well, you know what I love? I and, of course, you opened an office in the new office tower down in Stewart, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's this, a luxury skyscraper. <laughs> no, actually, I just bought uh, a house that had been on the market for like five years that they couldn't find a buyer for and you know just fix it up and it's my home and it's my office and you know it's kind of the headquarters for attorneys passing through and i've got a little one room bed and breakfast to house attorneys that are passing through so and you don't just house attorneys marty you actually help people because this is not a horrible thing that ice does with along with the folks that run stewart is they just literally let them out the door that's right. Into the middle of nowhere, uh, right. where their families have to come down in the middle of the night, and you actually give people a place to stay and cook warm bread every day. True. Yeah, and I, so I feed them, you know, and, you know, make pizza, and, you know, give them their first meal in freedom. And But, I mean, they, they deliberately release them <clears throat> when it's too late at night, even if you can get to Columbus, which is an hour away, which is the nearest city. I mean, even if you can get to Columbus, so all the Greyhound buses are gone. So you have to basically spend the night in the bus station, or you know, spend the night or spend the night at my house. So those are your two choices. Well, I, I think it's just so honor, honorable what you do down there, and it's just a remarkable. It's to me an example of what our calling is. You know, when I when I was ALA president, I, I got to give a speech. The only time anybody ever listens to you is ALA president. Um, and what I focused on was the fact that. Immigration law is not a job; it's a calling. Kind of like the, kind of like the priesthood, you know. You just say so you're a rabbi. I just, I just feel like this is what I should do, uh, and you are living that. Now, I would say you're living the dream, not really living the dream. You're living the, living the immigration nightmare, but you are doing exactly what we are commanded to do uh, uh, by the gods that we worship, and that is to be kind to our neighbors and do unto others yeah, what we do unto ourselves. I agree. And, and I, I mean, I the way, the way I always phrase it, you know, I mean, if you're going to do this work, you can't be something that you do. It has to be somebody you are. Because unless you're in, like, 100%, like, if you're in this for the money, you're, you're, you're making a huge mistake, buddy, because you're not going to make that much yeah, it's, money. It's always it, funny when I, on Facebook, when you give your opinion on some, some loon who's, who thinks Donald Trump is the second incarnation of Jesus Christ, um, and, and, well... I looked at your Facebook page, and well, you're an immigration lawyer. You know, you're probably making, you know, you're just in it for the money. That's all you care about. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, nobody practices immigration law to get rich. Um, No. Not a chance. If you want to make money as a lawyer, this is the last thing you would be doing uh, (laughs) at the end of the day. Uh, But I want to go back to this idea of preparing for asylum cases. Now, in my career, I've done hundreds of asylum cases. And none of them get done effectively in three weeks. Uh, no. Yeah, you know, in, in, immigration law has become very difficult. When I started doing this 30 years ago, immigration law was easier. In fact, it was easier. Not that the standard was any different, but the standard was looser. And over the last 30 years, we've seen a tightening of the standard. We have, of course, the Elias Zacharias case out of the Supreme Court, which basically says... If you can show a 10% possibility that you would be persecuted on one of the five grounds, you should be given asylum. That's what Elias Zacharias says, period, end of story. 
But that's not how that that's not how it's interpreted in our immigration courts, is it? it it's not. Um, and, and, and it's if these judges have never read Elias Zacharias. Um, and I, I think many of them have not read Elias. Certainly the trial attorneys never have. And this idea right. that it's a possibility standard, it's not a preponderance of the evidence standard, it's not a clear and convincing standard, it is a possibility standard. Um, slightly above that of credible fear. There's a, there's a poss- reasonable possibility, reasonable fear, uh, uh, subjective fear. And that you had this whole series of, of, of cases out of the Board of Immigration Appeals interpreting things like particular social group, which have now been reversed by possibly the worst attorney general, general in the history of the Republic. Oh, yeah. No um, doubt about it. So how do you, you know, the guy comes to you and they have a legitimate fear. I'll just use Venezuela as an example, okay, because we're seeing many, more, many, many more Venezuelans coming in. Don't see a lot of them in Stewart yet, but I'm just picking an example out of the air. Um, yeah. Uh, the guy comes to you and says, look, when I was in Venezuela, and he's overstayed his visa, so he's now he's detained by the government. He's got no other form of relief other than asylum. Uh, and he says, well, I, when I was in Venezuela and I came up here four years ago, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was in this political uh, party and I marched against, uh, against Maduro and they came and beat me up. And you go, okay, do you have any records? Because yep. Congress now requires records if they're available. Um, and so how, do you, how does a guy who's detained, who has no relatives in the United States, who cannot call internationally from the Stewart Detention Center, get his case prepared. How does that, how does that even happen? Well, it's, it's pretty much you know, close to impossible. And I'll give you a really concrete example. I have a case now from a guy from um, um, Bangladesh who was a member of one of the opposition parties and quite active. And the Awami League, which is the party that's in power, um, is notorious for using its youth group, using its youth arm to um, to beat up and intimidate and harass um, members of other parties. And then the police, rather than arresting the members of the Oami League who are doing these beatings, arrest the people who are beaten up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have to prove, first of all, that he is a member of the opposition party. I need medical records. I need some type of affidavits. I need all types of proof. I've got to get it all the way from Bangladesh. I've got to get it translated into English. You know, and I mean, I can't complain, really, but in addition to everything else, you know, Lumpkin doesn't have internet. I mean, I have a mobile hotspot. So, it's very slow, but at least I have access. But, I mean, I have a case now that I was given three weeks to prepare an asylum case for this poor guy. And, you know, I'm not, you know, really sure it's going to be possible to get all the documentation together at time. Because the burden of proof's on you. I mean, you have to prove 100% that everything you say is true, and you have to document everything. The government, all the government has to do is sit there and say, you know, I don't believe you. That's all they really have to do. And the the judges take bring, bring into this process with them a, um, a bias, don't they? I mean, there's, there's a bias against asylum. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's true in most immigration courts, not just Stewart. Uh, but it's a bias against asylum, thinking, thinking of it as a very special form of relief, rather than because they say, well, this is, you know, we, we, we could, they all go to the floodgates. If we give asylum to him, 
we'll have to give you know we'll have to give something to every Chinese person who opposed the one family yeah. policy. Well, that's exactly what Congress did when they passed that law uh, 25, 30 years ago. Um, they understood that, and and the re- they, they use the floodgate argument, even though there is literally no evidence that we've ever had a floodgate. Uh, this idea, for example, that that's come of vogue recently when people were, have been fleeing domestic violence from Central America and more, and even more so the gang violence. Uh, well, that's the floodgates. Look, we're going to get we're going to get millions of people coming from El Salvador to the United States. No, you might get a few thousand, but you're not going to get millions. Uh, and you can, no. and, and you can sh- you can shave off the cases that are, I mean there are made up cases very few of them but they're made up cases and they're cases that can't be established but the vast majority of these people now have no relief they literally flee for their lives uh, they should be entitled to relief under the under the Refugee Act but the interpretation right. of the law by the Attorney General who is the most anti-immigration Attorney General in our history says no you can't have this that's right and I mean people you know. It's not an exaggeration. I mean, people really do risk their lives to get here. There's a, a woman poet, I'm blanking on her name at the moment, who says that, you know, no one leaves home unless, you know, home is the mouth of the shark. I mean, well, that's you don't exactly risk right. your life. Yeah, you, don't, you don't risk your life trying to get here unless your life is really in danger. And, you know, sadly, it's, you know, I spent uh, six weeks you know, volunteering in a, a, a refugee camp mm-hmm. on one of the Greek islands with, you know, um, refugees You're from, Syria. you know, Syria and other places. And, you know, it's exactly the same. I mean, they risk their lives to get to Greece, you know, in these, like, rubber dinghies. And then they're, like, you know, interrogated by these, you know, asylum officers who don't believe anything that they're saying. I it, mean, it's, it's not the just the U.S. that treats refugees like this, is it? Exactly. And this yeah. idea that America cannot accommodate refugees uh, is heartbreaking. Uh, it is. Uh, the idea that we're only going to take 5,000 refugees this year from the whole wide world is, I mean, uh, it's, it's going to take us a generation to overcome the world's new view of the United States. We will overcome right. it, but it will take a generation. Right. And how we're treating our neighbors from countries in which we have created, in large part, the crises that cause people to flee these countries um, and then turn our back on our responsibility uh, to, to help heal these countries and to help heal these people is, uh, is immoral. It's absolutely right. immoral. Um, and, and, and you think we would learn from, I mean, history. I mean, look what happened, you know, to, you know, Jewish and other refugees who tried to flee the Nazis. I mean, they were turned back. You know, and the excuse was, oh, well, you know, we don't want to be overwhelmed. And we've learned nothing at all from that. Experience. Well, you know, the thing is, we, we the, the lesson we learned back then, oh, my gosh, we got it. We didn't have re- real refugee laws. We sent Anne Frank to, back to die. And right. we oh, let's, let's let never again, right? What's the mantra, Marty? Never again. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we, we ultimately, the world uh, creates the Treaty on Refugees, um, the UN Convention on Refugees in 1967. The U.S. finally adopts it in the Refugee Act of 1980, becomes our law. Uh, and then we just, 40 years later, we're turning our back on it? I mean, Ignore it. Say yeah. you who live, I mean these, these are men and women who lived through this back in 1967, 1980, even 1945. And they must be okay with what happened in Germany. Uh, uh, 80 years ago, uh, if yeah. if that's how they're going to treat the situation today, 
um, with numbers that are so small. You know, you, 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 re- you look at a country like um, uh, Jordan, which has, what, 13 million people? Six million uh-huh. of whom are refugees. Um, yeah. The U.S., they're, they're, oh, we have record numbers of refugees coming to Central America. One, not true. Two, you're talking about, on average, six to eight to 80,000 a year uh, in a country of 325 million people. That's right. We can accommodate this. And the, the flip side always is, well, they can come live in your house, you know, well, they break down your door. You know, as, as p- part of the, the, the pack that we have as a society is that we help each other and that we help our neighbors. Uh, and uh, particularly those that claim to be Christians, uh, this is exactly what we have been called to do. Marty, we got to take another quick break because that's what we do here on the Immigration Hour. Okay. If you can hang on for a few more, another couple minutes, I want to ask you a couple more questions about Stuart and about your experiences down there. I'll be here. All right, I'll we're back on quick. Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado, con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración. Conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national... Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. Marty, I want to ask you about um, getting into the steward detention to meet with your clients. Um, a, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to work on a pretty high-profile case down in Chrome. Now, Chrome is, is, a, is an, actually an ICE-run detention facility, not a privately run detention facility. And we had access to, an, to a room to meet with our clients, prepare for trial. I could have access basically from 8 a.m. To, to, to 8 p.m., uh, except during lunch, during meals, uh, no time limit, um, and that's exactly not happening in Stewart, is it? That's right. How, how do you how do you meet with a client in Stewart? You have to explain this to our to our listeners because most won't even believe sure. this. Well, I mean, first of all, there's um, this huge plexiglass, you know, window between you and your client, and there's like a teeny tiny slit. Um, and they have telephones like you're supposed to use. Um, I mean, I'm hearing impaired. I use hearing aids. Mm-hmm. The the phones are not ADA compatible, so I can't use them. But I mean, even people who are hearing impaired say these phones just don't work. Um, so you can't actually have a contact visit with your client where you know you can sit across the table and have a reasonable conversation. Um, the bigger problem is that there's only three attorney visitation rooms for 2,100 detainees. And very often, you know, all three of those rooms are full. Um, 
So I've waited um, as long as three, three and a half, four hours for my turn to meet with my client. I mean, it's completely, um, you know, obstructionist. That's the only way to define it is it's deliberately obstructing my ability to represent my clients effectively because, I mean, how many, you know, I'm lucky. I live next door. You know, it's not a big deal, but, you know, if attorneys come down from Atlanta or New York or other places and have to wait, you know, three and a half, four hours to meet with their clients, they'll, they'll miss their plane or whatever. Well, keep in it's mind where, where Stuart is. Stuart is two and, a half, two and a half, two hours from the Atlanta airport south. So, I mean, if right. you're stuck, instead of an hour waiting, you wait three hours, your plane's gone when you're ready to go back home. That's um, right. And, I mean, but these, these rooms, let's keep people in mind, because I want to paint the picture of these rooms. These are about six feet uh, the, where the attorney sits. It's, it's a cinder block room uh, with a metal door. Once the, and you're in, you're in. Uh, and it's about, what, six feet by six feet, uh, all cinder yeah. block with plexiglass on one wall. Similar Maybe. setting on the other side, um, and not only can you, and I'm also hearing impaired. I wear my hearing aids, and sitting in that room is like sitting in an echo chamber because you can't. I mean, literally, you talk and it just echoes on the walls. And these these phones, I always I, I joke about it in my class of law students, but it, it's like Charlie Brown's teachers, like yeah, and that's what it sounds like. So you're you're, you're almost literally putting your mouth, your ears up to that little slit. In in, yep. in the in 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 the wall in in the plexiglass to try to hear what your client's saying in a diff, generally not in English, so not right. only are you not speaking your native language, you're doing it in a way that it's very hard to understand. Now here's the other well, thing that's the, that's stunning to me, Marty. There's only three of these rooms. That's right. What can you bring into these rooms as a lawyer? Well, that's the that's the crazy thing is that like you can't bring in a laptop. You can't bring in uh, a cell phone. You can only bring in the files for the case that you're actually working on. And, I mean, to give you an idea of how ridiculous it is, um, it, it hasn't happened to me, but some other attorneys, you know, who went in with an interpreter, the interpreter brought, like, a Spanish-English dictionary with them, yeah. and they were told they couldn't bring it in. Um and, the, you know, sometimes, like, if I need to see three or four clients, I'll have, like, to wait, like, you know, 30, 45 minutes between clients. And I'm not allowed to bring in reading material. I just have to sit there. I mean, it's, it's not so like easy. they're playing Fox News on the television in the lobby, are they? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, if this is, you know, 2018. You know, we're not 1950 here. No, you also cannot bring in a watch, right? Unless it's an analog watch. Well, you can as long as it's analog. As long as it's not electronic. So it's just, you know, if it's only a watch. But, I mean, how can we not work, you know, if, how can we work without our computers? Well, here's the other thing that struck me with these three rooms there's four courtrooms, which means there's four hearings in any given day at any given time, technically, right? And yet, there's only three rooms. So somebody's not preparing their client. That's um, right. What, what's amazed me so far about Stuart is that nobody has sued ICE over the access to counsel and access to representation uh, in federal court. 
Uh, well, I, actually, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center is working on that. Good, because um, I, I was just about to bring that up, and I need to get him on the show one day. When I was in law school at Arizona State many, many moons ago, I was privileged to actually work on a lawsuit against the against the state of Arizona in their prison system that were not giving proper access to lawyers. And 30 years ago, the judge said, this is stupid. Of course you get access to the lawyers. Surely today, what 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 court, it's CoreCivic that runs that place. That's what they call themselves now, right? Correct. Yeah, because they didn't want to be called the prison company anymore, uh, whatever they go by in the past. Uh, they want to minimize, again, access to justice, access to outside counsel, uh, and they want to, uh, 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 I was going to say in Spanish, endurecer. They want to make it harder to be in jail than it is to get out so that you will just give up and go home. And this is part of that. Uh, it's also why so many lawyers, immigration lawyers, don't want to represent people detained in Stewart. That's right. Um, because it makes right. our job harder to go down there and deal with it. Uh, where, they, where the government's lawyers have a nice trailer, they can... Now, the government lawyers, they get to bring their laptops into the courtroom, don't they? That's right. Now, can you bring sure your laptop too. in the courtroom or not? Are they allowing nope. that now? Well, you can't. I mean, you can, but you have each time you bring it in, you have to get a new permit. You have to get new permission. Wait a second. So, wait, a, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. I, you have to get a permit. Who is giving these permissions out to bring your laptop into the courtroom? The court? At the court, yeah, you fill out this form, um, and then you get to bring in your laptop. But, I mean, you still don't have access to the the Internet. So, I mean, I almost never bother, um, but you are allowed to bring your laptop in, but you have to get new permission each time, even if you're there every day. Now, but, makes- but ICE has Internet access there, correct? Yeah, they do. Yeah, that that's a problem. Because that's unequal access to justice. Um, And so if they're going to make a system available to ICE lawyers and to the court, which also has Internet access, they can't deprive the counsel. I mean, I can't wait till this lawsuit gets filed because I think this is going to come down so hard on ICE and so hard on on CoreCivic uh, that their heads are going to spin. Because this is this the the way that justice is treated at Stewart. uh, it, It truly is, as you said, a deportation center. And it's nothing more than that. It's not a system right. of justice. Well, and their, their reason is so completely insane. And I, I swear I'm not making this up, but the, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center folks, you know, have this project down there where um, they represent people in bond hearings and in parole, uh, parole applications. Mm-hmm. So they have this software system so that all the intakes are the... Right, they have to have the standardization. So they were told that the reason why they couldn't bring laptops into the attorney rooms was because the laptops have cameras in them. But like, what can you take a picture of? So they said, okay, okay. You know, what if we found laptops that didn't have cameras? Um, and they said, well. You know, you could be bringing in other things, like you could be bringing in videos of pornography. Oh, the lawyer is going to risk his law <laughs> license to bring in pornography to show to his client. That, that's what the lawyer is going to do. Oh, my. Oh, OMG, my friend. OMG. <laughs> that was their argument. Uh, I can't wait for them to make that argument to a federal court judge. 
I literally cannot wait. Paul Manafort had more access to counsel than these guys are getting. Uh, yeah. Now, Stewart is a male-only facility, correct? That is correct. Are they up to 20? You mentioned earlier, are they up to 2,100 detainees at this point? We, I mean, the capacity is supposed to be 1,900, but very often it goes over capacity. So, I mean, it's at least at least 1,900 you know, people per day are detained now, it's interesting, about uh, 15 years ago, I was on a, on a, a federal commission um, where we were looking at detention conditions. This is before uh, Stewart opened up, and uh, we had a chance to go to Chrome, uh, along with a couple other detention centers, and we got the full tour. We walked through everything in Chrome. Have you ever had a tour of Stewart? Um, no, I mean, you can request them. You can get permission to do it, but again, you know, it's just so much hassle and you know you have to um you know put in all these requests and honestly you know i just don't want to owe anybody any favors <laughs> you know, I mean, sure. I realize that sounds harsh but i mean i know enough of what goes on from talking to my clients that i don't think there's any value added to actually seeing the cells um so, no, I've never actually bothered. But it's possible, but it's very difficult. Now, you mentioned also on Facebook this week that they have a little medical problem at Stewart. And this is actually a, a repeating medical problem. Yeah. Um, I had a hearing, asylum hearing um, yesterday that was canceled. Well, sorry, not canceled. Rescheduled yesterday morning because there was a chicken pox outbreak, and my client's pod was under, um, under quarantine. So they couldn't bring them to court. Um, and that happens a lot. I mean, wow, I've been down there full-time like a year and a half now, and I'm pretty sure this is like the fifth or sixth time that there's been uh, a chicken pox quarantine. I think, as I recall my my notes on this, I think you're absolutely right. And sometimes it's chicken pox. It could be other things, too. Uh, and the medical care in this facility is horrible, You, you especially the mental health care. Uh, it's yeah. terrible in Stewart. Uh, we know that several people have committed suicide there over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. we, we had the opportunity to work with a fellow um, who had severe mental, Ill, mental health challenges. Um, he is actually, was actually a former police officer in Mexico uh, who had uh, rejected uh, offers uh, to uh, basically be bribed, and his fellow officers came after him. Uh, and uh, he became, mon- I mean, there was a lot of terrible abuse that he suffered as real physical abuse, uh, and he became super traumatized. And so when they, and they, when they detained him up here after he came in seeking asylum, uh, he, he literally went crazy. I mean, he just literally just lost it. There's a psychotic break. Yeah. And rather than getting him treatment, what did they do? They put him in solitary. Yep. Uh, and uh, at, at that point, he uh, it, it was just us getting a habeas in front of in front of the judge in the middle district of of the state and getting him, him ordered out of that out of that place. And what did uh, this is before you opened up your delightful bed and breakfast? Um, when they came to get him from his cell, of course, there's two uniformed guys there, right? He's just freaking out because he's literally he thinks they're going to come and torture him and beat him. Sure. And they put him into the back of a van and just started driving. They didn't tell him when they were going. They started driving. I had to send one of my associates to go down. And the van finally pulled off on the side of the road on the way to Columbus because he was banging on the back. He was just, he was freaking out. They called our office and said, we can't drive any. This guy's a danger. I said, well, 
Do you tell him where you're going? Well, he won't listen to us. And, of course, they don't speak Spanish, so they had no way of telling the guy. I just had one of my associates to meet that van on the road between Stewart and Columbus uh, to, to, get, to pick this guy up. Uh, and Good. that's the kind of treatment that, we, that, that this has. Marty, you are a hero, by the way, for what you've been doing uh-huh. down there. And I, I mean, all of our listeners, of course, if you have a steward issues, you know, call Marty. <laughs> be happy to help you out with it. Uh, and, and, and the Polanco firm, I'm just grateful for their, their, uh, their vision and your vision to doing something uh, to help the least among us. And, uh, and Marty, there, there is uh, lots of good mitzvahs here for you uh, in making this happen, my friend. Oh, boy, thank you. Uh, so I'm going to let you go. Let you get back to work. Okay. Uh, you have Thank a you, great sir. week, my friend, and we'll be in touch. We love you. Talk to you later, Marty. The next time you come down to Stewart, you can stay at my B&B. I will stay, and I'm going to get one of those pizzas and some bread in the morning, okay? Sounds like a deal. Thanks, Donnie. Have a great day. We're going to take Thank a quick you. break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. I'll be right back with you. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Soy Charles Cook, del bufete de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay algo que se puede hacer, nosotros lo podemos hacer. Llámenos a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a la www.immigration.net. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We had a great time talking to Marty. Um, he is just a wonderful human being, uh, for those of you who don't know him personally. Uh, and he's, you know, as many of us immigration lawyers know, he's very active on several Facebook groups on immigration law. Uh, and he's, he's just kind and, and gentle, but fierce, uh, and a, a warrior for good. Um, and, uh, a, a lot of us want to grow up and be like Marty. Uh, one day, uh, I want to finalize the show here because I want to talk about something else that kind of goes along with the same theme that we've been talking about today and the injustice of the immigration system. And this has to do with uh, the Trump administration's recent announcement that they want to change the rules on public charge and what it means to be a public charge. So under our immigration laws for the last 100 years, we've had a rule that says if you're going to become a public charge – in the United States that we can deny you the right to immigrate to the United States. Um, Public charge uh, is defined uh, as an immigrant uh, who is likely to become primarily dependent on the government for subsistence. Primarily dependent on the government 
for subsistence. You can find that in the Federal Register uh, 642869. Um, and that, that determination is generally up to the consular officer who's interviewing you for a green card at your consulate or up to the immigration service. It's their job to make, uh, to make a determination whether you likely become primarily dependent on the government for, for, for assistance. Now, it, is, it has been over the last 50 years a rarely used ground, uh, but recently we have seen changes in how the at least the consulates have viewed the public charge requirement. Now, Congress in 1996, uh, they had this public charge requirement in mind when they changed how sponsors, particularly family sponsors, would be responsible for their sponsored relatives. So that if you're sponsoring a relative in the United States as the primary sponsor, you are required to make 125% of poverty level income dependent on your family size, including the new immigrants. So your current family plus the new immigrant, or you plus the, if it's just you with the rest of the new family coming in. So if it's just you and you're sponsoring mom and there's two of you, you've got to make around $20,000 a year on your tax return from the last year. If you've got three people, you're sponsoring mom and dad, it's just you, you've got to have 25. If it's you and your wife, mom and dad, that's four, you've got to have 30. And every additional person you add on either side of that equation is another $5,000 that you have to show that you're making on your tax return from the previous year. Um, And if you don't make enough money, Congress said, that's okay, Uh, you can get a co-sponsor. Now, what this agreement is, what this thing called an affidavit of support is, is actually a legal contract between you, the foreign national that you're sponsoring, and the United States government, such that if the foreign national ever uses improperly public benefits, that the government can come after you for that money. Now, I don't know of a single instance in which that's happened over the last 22 uh, years. I, I just don't. I do know that it has been used by divorce lawyers uh, to get alimony uh, in marriage-based cases. But generally, the government hasn't really done much enforcement action. And the reason is simple, because as a new immigrant to the U.S., generally, you are barred from public benefits for five years until you become, you become a citizen. And once you become a citizen, then these, then these rules don't apply to you. Uh, so the big thing with the Trump administration is spreading this panic among the community. Oh, my goodness, my child, can I, can I get peach care for my child? Uh, can I get food stamps? Can I get a school lunch for my kids? Let's take a look at what current law says. What can current legal immigrants who have not received their green card or, have, or who can, have not received their green cards, what can they, uh, what can they do? Um, and what can they use without the public charge benefits? So they can use non-cash programs such as public housing, child care, energy assistance, disaster relief, Head Start, job training or counseling. All those are available under federal law as fine. You can get health care benefits such as Medicaid, CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, prenatal care or other free or low-cost medical care clinics, health centers or other settings other than long-term care in a nursing home. They can also get food programs such as WIC, school meals, or other food assistance. Those are all perfectly allowable under current USCIS policy for people. And 
what they should avoid, what people should avoid using are, and what they can't use, is institutionalization for long-term care or mental health at the government expense. They can't use, they can't qualify for cash welfare, such as SSI, TANF, or state or local cash assistance programs, uh, often called state general assistance. Um, legal permanent residents uh, can keep their status without a public charge if they use the following services. Health care benefits for emergency Medicare, CHIP, uh, food stamps, uh, WIC, uh, school meals. Uh, they can use other non-cash programs like, like public housing. Uh, if they are legal, they have, after five years, they can use cash welfare programs. Um, and all that according to the USCIS. What Trump wants to do is come in and make these programs unavailable uh, and, worse, retroactively apply their use against people who are trying to naturalize. Now, we've talked about on the show before that the Trump administration has slowed down the naturalization process. Uh, now in Atlanta, for example, it's 11 to 21 months, when under Obama it was taking four to six months. And one of the things they want to do is slow it down because the Trump administration knows that very few new, new, new citizens are going to vote for them. So why should they naturalize a million people this year as Obama was doing? Because that's a million votes against Trump or 980,000 against Trump. Um, and so they slow the process down. And now they want to make it harder to naturalize by saying, hey, if you use public benefits while you were permanent residents, even though we said it was okay to do that, we're going to deny you naturalization. Now, here's the news. They can come out with a rule that says that. That rule will be struck down in a, in a microsecond by the federal courts because you're not going to go in and, and deny people naturalization if they use legally authorized programs. Um, if, and, and as long as they were legally authorized when they used them, there's no way that's going to be held against you. People come in, can I get food stamps for my kids? Can I get school lunch for my kids? Yes, you can. You can absolutely use that for your kids, um, and especially if your kids are U.S. citizens. Uh, what you can't do is use these cash programs because they're barred. And in states like Georgia, you have to use the, the state uses what's called SAVE, which is the federal government program to check immigration status. And if you don't show up as documented, if you don't show up as authorized to use, you're denied the benefit. And there, so th- the idea that immigrants are using public benefits is false except insofar as government has allowed them to do it. So if you have a problem with that, then you should talk to the government about the welfare program, not about immigrants. And, of course, immigrants use uh, public benefits at a much lower rate than native-born U.S. citizens. Um, So we'll see what the Trump administration comes out with over the course of the next um, year, whenever they get around to this. My guess, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of gin this up in late October, kind of an October surprise, to get people to go to the polls in support of their candidates. Because we, what we've seen Trump do is use anti-immigration rhetoric and anti-immigration fervor to generate his base to move forward. The thing about his base, even though they're supporting him at some crazy 90% race, is his base has actually shrunk. From 2016 uh, to 2018, the Republican Party has lost 15 million people. That's 15 million fewer people that show up as not supporting Trump, but they're not in the party anymore, so his approval ratings re- remain high because people are just leaving. They're just not going to vote Republican anymore. Uh, and that's a natural consequence of demonizing the other. 
It's been great to be with you this week. I'm going to miss next week because I'm going to be out of the country. Uh, I'll be back in two weeks uh, to talk, and we're going to have a special guest in a couple weeks. Uh, I've announced it now. I think Matt Culkin's going to join us. Uh, Matt's an ALA board member uh, and an extraordinary immigration lawyer out of Buffalo with a great track record, and I, I can't wait to hear his commentary and his comments on our current integra- immigration system. Until next week, this is your host, Chuck Cook, on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. In the doctor's lounge, kind of information that doctors are speaking about in doctors' waitings, waiting rooms and lounges all over the country. So um, uh, the show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time promoting things this morning because I want to get right into the meat of the show. I have a uh, one of my favorite guests, very special lady who uh, is a great friend of Docs for Patient Care Foundation and the show, uh, Sally Pipes, who um, is uh, getting up early on the West Coast to uh, be with us live this morning. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Hal. Sally Pipes is um, the... Uh, the president and the CEO of Pacific Research Institute. She is a uh, a warrior in the fight against the single payer movement in this country for nationalized socialized health care. Um, before I um, start get, having a conversation with Sally, I wanted to uh, promote her new book that came out this spring. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's The False Promise of the Single Payer Health Care System. Um, it is a uh, very well-written, important um, collection of of information that makes the case against the single payer health care system and uh, if you just look at the table of contents it pretty much says everything the single payer nightmares in Canada and the United Kingdom um, the single payer health care disaster in the United States and what single payer plans are under consideration in uh, in the US Sally you um, 
have written extensively on this topic. I'm just going to share a few of the titles of, of so many of the of your pieces that have come out in the past uh, 18 months. Um, Take single payer health care proposals seriously. Um, Bernie, stop fibbing about Canada's single-payer disaster. 